Fred's Front Porch Podcast is made possible by Jenner Zeno and Studio Stargazer. Our unofficial patron saint, Alex Oliphant. Coralie Day with Scott Knight, Edith Keeler, and Hermione Granger. Welcome, fellow traveler, on this rock tumbling through space. I'm Fred, and this is my front porch. Come on up and sit a while. There are ideas to be discussed on this old set of nicely nailed together boards. Unlocking the Gate. This It's a story I need to tell. It has to come out. I thought of doing it as a piece of fiction, but too much of it is true to make it function as a Horace story or a theater piece. With that said, the only real name you will hear in this story is mine. I have no wish to injure anyone's reputation or interfere with their plans in any way. I wish no sadness, difficulty, or stress on anyone. Outside of those who are involved, no one will ever know the real names of the people in this story. At the end of July, one of my former students started sending me messages on Facebook. He and his wife, who had also once been a student of mine, were building a house on a new property. They wanted to have me oversee the property and they would let me live there for free for the rest of my life. It would have a room for all my books and it would have a fenced yard where I could have a dog. To say the least, I was excited. I had just signed my lease for another six months in my little apartment in Sierra Vista, but I was willing to consider breaking it for such a wonderful situation. Over the next few weeks, it became evident It wasn't going to be that at all, at least for a couple of years. They needed someone to be a roommate for their mother who couldn't afford her rent. Then they decided their cousin, who had just gotten out of jail, would move back in there and I could live in the little travel trailer in the backyard. There were dogs there with whom I could be friends and cuddle. It would, in short, be all I wanted least from their point of view. I became more reluctant. I thought, however, it might be a good new experience for me. Tony, not his real name, told me about IHSS, a California welfare program called In-Home Supportive Services. He could get paid for helping me to do the things with which I have difficulty. He was already doing this for his mother. It would be quick and easy to get me signed up too, and it would work out well for both of us. I believed this might be worthwhile. It turned out that in the two months I was there, we never managed to work this out. Although I had said from the very beginning, I'm very bad at filling out forms, this failure, I was told repeatedly, was my fault. I did fill out the forms, There was always one more hoop through which I needed to jump. I never got through them all. 
Tony's wife, Anne, also not her real name, sent me a few private Facebook messages in which she told me something of her husband's difficulties with anger. I won't go into the details here because I don't want to violate her privacy, but I will say only that she thought they might need counseling. Her daughter was worried about Tony as well. Violence had already occurred. On Facebook, Tony posted some bizarre rantings in which he said he was an asshole because his wife and her daughter had said as much. I mentioned this only because it was public. Anyone who wanted to see it saw it. I stayed out of it. I remember Tony and Anne from when they were in sixth grade. Tony had difficulty with anger then, and I had been able to help him with it. He was obviously grateful about that since he wanted to help me now. I was living in Sierra Vista in a little apartment and I had to smoke my marijuana through a roll of toilet paper stuffed with bounce sheets because they were sending me messages about the smell and it was a violation of the lease. I had a neighbor who was often kind to me, but he felt compelled to talk to me every time I sat outside on my front porch for a cigarette. He told me he was a major on disability, had four PhDs, and was often recalled to service. It seemed odd to me that a man with those qualifications would be living next door to me on Poverty Row, but I just believe what people tell me. I was not entirely content where I lived, but it was mine, and I didn't really have a significant desire to leave. I had a lovely bed, some sense of security, and enough money on which to live. I had, in fact, $3,500 in my checking account in August. I had money left from my disability settlement. I was doing well. I allowed myself to believe that, in a couple of years, I might have all I want without ever worrying about rent again. I recognized I would be giving up some of what I loved, but I would gain the opportunity to have everything I want. In retrospect, it was a foolish decision. I trusted in a kindness that couldn't really exist. The toxic anger that lived inside of Tony was too strong to allow things to go the way I wanted them to go. I should have known better. I do now. I will never move again. My landlord will take me out of this place in a body bag. To be clear, the decision to move to California was mine. I'm responsible for that. The red flags were clear. I chose to ignore them, believing in my ability to bring peace to a troubled world. I was wrong, and no one else is to blame. When I made the decision to go, Tony and Anne seemed to be delighted. They said they would charge $750 a month for rent, but I could have September free to catch up after the roughly $600 I would spend on the move. This would cover everything, including the high-speed internet I absolutely insisted I had to have because this show is the only thing I do anymore. It's my entire life. They told me their internet was great, this meant I would be spending roughly the same as I was spending in Sierra Vista. 
but Sierra Vista held no promise of a rent-free future. I broke my lease and Tony came out to get me. He rented a trailer and drove from California to Sierra Vista to pack up my life and move it to California. And he was yelling at me already on his way to pick me up. He was having trouble with his truck losing power. It had been into the shop several times, but no one could find the problem. Since it was only a couple of months old, I suggested he should return it and have them replace it. He unleashed on me as though I had told him I had slept with his mother. Returning it was bad because it would hurt the corporation and corporations were vital to holding this country together. I, obviously, have a different opinion about corporations, but it was not to be considered. I don't know anything about cars, it's not my car, and what right did I have to tell him what to do? I apologized and said he could do what he thought was right. I asked him to stop yelling, and he told me that this was simply the way he talks, and we could switch to text if I couldn't deal with it. I was concerned about him texting and driving. He said he could use talk to text, and I conceded, and we continued on the phone a while longer. He calmed down, and he arrived several hours later. I found quickly that Tony, the adult, suffered from one of the same problems as Tony, the child, getting things done. It took him four days to get everything loaded in the truck and the trailer. We sat up until all hours of the night talking, and it was endearing at first. He was a staunch conservative, and I have always been a liberal. He had many thoughts on making this show into something profitable by appearing on things such as Discord and YouTube and some other media the name of which escapes me. I could do shows for an hour a day that would attract attention. I could do reaction videos. I could engage with the audience. I was, obviously, opposed to any such ideas, and I explained this isn't about making money. It's simply my way of reaching the world. I have no interest in appearing on any media platforms. Facebook is at the outer edge of my ability to handle. I'm too old, too tired, and too stupid to learn new technologies. We finally left Arizona, and we arrived in California just before sunrise on the 2nd or 3rd of September. My memory is not to be trusted anymore. I saw my tiny trailer for the first time. It was on the wrong side of the house, quite distant from what was destined to be my little office, but it was reasonably ready. The power was on and the toilet would work. I talked to Anne that night and she told me she was desperately allergic to nearly everything, including the many animals on the place. I told her I understood and I would keep my distance from her. I had no desire to make her sick. She appreciated that. I spent my first night in my little trailer. The bed wasn't long enough for me to stretch out. My feet were against the wall. The mattress was a thin piece of foam on top of a piece of plywood. I decided to see the beauty of living small. I had been working on that for the last couple of years, and this seemed to me to be the apex of that idea. 
It was less than 10 steps from one end of the trailer to the other, but it seemed to me I had what I needed. There was a little table on which I could eat, and it held my laptop so I could write. It was enough. 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 I decided to be content. I tried to find the joy in my situation. For some time, I was successful. The pigs and chickens liked me. On a couple of nights, one of the dogs would come and sleep with me. It was great. It didn't last. The first few nights, Tony and I sat up late getting stoned in my trailer and talking. He began to become aggressive about my show being evil. I used, he pointed out, appeals to emotion. And since this is a logical fallacy, I ought never to use it. I was manipulative. I was essentially lying. Lying. He hated, he told me, liars. We are the scummiest of the scum. He made his anger clear to me. We stopped our late night talks promptly after that. Preliminarily, I tried to defend myself against these attacks on my character. I was, Tony decided, stupid and irresponsible. I shouldn't smoke, and I wasted half of my income on my drug addictions. These were caffeine and nicotine. Marijuana was fine. He did that himself. When I needed a new mic cord so I could record my show properly, he told me I didn't need it at all. I could just quit doing the show. I tried to explain that this is who I am. This is my identity. He found that foolish. My show is evil anyway. I should give it up and do a YouTube show about my book collection. When the intensity and regularity of the attacks grew, I shut myself down. I dreaded the sound of a text arriving mm. because it might have been from Tony. I kept reminding myself that I couldn't hide from it. I had to face it. I had to respond. I learned to do so with as few words as possible. I never argued anymore. That would just draw more attacks. I agreed with any criticisms. I had nowhere to go. I was miles from town. I had no car. I had no key to the gate. I could go nowhere at all. I had to hide in my trailer and hope I wouldn't bother anyone. At one point, the handle on my refrigerator broke. This meant I couldn't open it. I had no access to cold sodas. This meant I had to use twice as much ice because warm soda gives me a stomach ache. Stress has the same effect. I had a lot of stomach aches in California. I ran out of ice and I went into the kitchen in the house to get more. I touched the handle of the freezer and the ice cube tray. When I went to refill the ice cube tray, Anne asked if I had touched anything. She told me I was violating their privacy. I had no right to their ice. She would now have to sterilize everything I touched so that neither she nor her daughter would end up in the hospital. My apologies fell on deaf ears. I retreated into the trailer. I didn't set foot outside of it for more than 24 hours. I felt like one of the dogs or the chickens or the pigs on the property. 
and one of the pigs had recently been shot because it got in Anthony's way when he was moving my trailer to empty the wastewater. The pig's leg had been smashed, and Tony put it out of its misery. He was bummed that he was out $600. The pig had been one of my friends. He was featured in my episode, The Outliers. There were pictures of him on my Facebook. Things came to a head when one of my other former students called me out of the blue. He had stumbled across my episode, Do I Have to Hate All 70 Million?, which is about why I declined to hate my Trump-supporting friends. He really loved the episode and he wanted to tell me. He asked where I was and I told him I had returned to California. It turned out he was 20 minutes away from me. He wanted to see me again and he offered to bring Wiener Schnitzel for lunch. He remembered I used to get that for lunch every day when I was his teacher some 25 or so years ago. I told him he needed to get Anthony's permission first. He thought that was strange, but he asked for Anthony's number, and I gave it to him. Herbert, not his real name either, texted Tony. He also called and left him a voicemail. Both were ignored. A few hours later, Herbert showed up, and he passed the food over the fence and hopped it himself. We went back to my trailer to eat. Herbert had left his drink on the other side of the gate, and he went outside to go get it. A few moments later, I heard Anthony shouting, Get on the fucking ground! I didn't move from the trailer. I was terrified. In a couple minutes, Herbert returned. He told me Anthony had pointed an AK-47 at him. Herbert hadn't gotten on the ground, He had calmly said he was here to visit me, and he continued walking slowly to the trailer. Both of us pretended to each other that everything was all right. After we finished the food we could eat, I had lost my appetite. We went outside to vape. Herbert asked me if I were being held hostage, and then Anthony came to yell at us both. He assured us he was not overreacting. He thought it was a home invasion. I didn't bother to ask how many home invaders are usually carrying a Wiener Schnitzel soda at the time. I let that go. There was cartel activity everywhere. Herbert explained he had called and texted to let Anthony know he would be there. Anthony said he had gotten some, quote, long-ass text and voicemail but he hadn't had time to look at them. We both apologized. Herbert asked for permission to leave. His wife needed him. Anthony unlocked the gate. I watched Herbert drive away. I knew I needed to join him sooner rather than later. I texted my best friend and her ex-boyfriend to ask him if I could rent a room in his old place. He mostly lived with her now, even though she had a new boyfriend, and his place sat empty. I told them I needed a place to live immediately, but I couldn't explain why just yet. He needed 24 hours to think it over. The next day, he said I could have the room, and I called movers. I took the time I needed to keep the price to move me under $2,000. 
It was nearly the last of the money I had. I knew I was going to need some of it for what would come next. I had paid October's rent by giving Anthony the money for a better router so I could get the internet I had been promised out to the trailer. I paid for a couple of other things too. Anthony had already chewed my ass repeatedly about Herbert's visit, about the evils of making his wife and daughter feel insecure in their own home because I was sneaking around to steal ice, and about what a liar I was. I had taught their attack dogs that it was okay for strangers to jump the fence. I was absolutely awful. I said it would be best for me to leave. I shouldn't be somewhere that I wasn't welcome. If I was this horrible, it would be better for them that I was gone. Both Anne and Anthony told me that it, that wasn't what they wanted. But I should be a man. I should act like a man. I should have some courage. I should be able to stand up. Anne said if I was going to leave, I had to give them 30 days notice. I expected that. I texted them both and told them I would be moving on Friday, when to expect the movers, and that I was happy to give them the $750. That was all but the end of the money I had. I wanted to save the rest for gas and food if I could get Herbert to drive me back to Arizona. Anthony said I owed more than that for damages to the trailer. I said I could give them more money when I got my disability on the 5th, or they could have any three boxes of my books they wanted. The books softened his response a bit, and he agreed to that. I had no lease. The $750 was to try to buy myself a peaceful exit from the place. I still had no key. I didn't want an unpleasant scene when the movers arrived. Thursday, October 28, the movers called and said they would be there between 1 and 5 the following day. I began counting hours. I begged Herbert to be here and help me get everything ready. He was back by 2 on Friday. Anthony let him in without incident. I began to feel a little better. It wouldn't last. The movers called to say they would arrive between 3 and 4. Herbert and I hurried to make sure everything in the trailer was ready. There was a room that was supposed to be my office in the house where all my books were waiting. My big computer and printer were there. There was supposed to be a glass door in there that would have given me some quiet so I could record, but it was never installed. You can actually hear people doing the dishes in the Poe story, The Black Cat. I needed the movers to be able to get into the office and to get my bed, which was in the garage. Anthony got the bed out of the garage and made sure I knew he would keep the gate locked except for when the movers were coming in. The movers called again. They would be here by seven. I told them that was unacceptable. I needed to get out of there while Anthony was still in a good mood. Then it would be 8. Finally, they arrived around 10 p.m. All I wanted was to get out of there. The movers wanted to charge me an extra $200 to wrap a dresser that was worth, perhaps, $20 at a thrift store. I told them I wasn't paying that and they should leave it and I would figure it out. Anne heard this, told Anthony, and he came into the office and began yelling. 
he didn't want any of my shit left behind. I told him I was figuring it out, and Anne said that's not what I said to the movies. I had Herbert load the dresser into his pickup so we could save the $200 we needed for our gas and food. The movers grabbed a desk I had already told them wasn't mine, and Anthony started screaming at them. They got scared, and they refused to go back into the office to get anything else. I had them load the bed, and we put everything else into Herbert's pickup so we could leave. And the gate was locked. I texted Anthony. We need the gate unlocked, please. We got the dresser out. They don't want to touch anything else. They said you told them not to. Anthony came out to the truck and began screaming about one more fucking lie. Herbert rolled up the window and called the police. Anthony said he wouldn't unlock the gate until the movers were out. He kept screaming while Herbert explained to law enforcement that we were being held hostage. The police said a car was on the way. Herbert backed his truck up, the movers moved in front of us, and Anthony finally unlocked the gate. I told Herbert to leave no space between us and the movers. We pulled out, and as soon as we were around the corner, I posted on Facebook, Moving to California was a mistake. I have corrected it now. I'm on my way to Arizona. Thank you for your patience with me. That was 11.25 p.m. on October 29. Herbert was too tired to drive to Arizona by now. I spent the night on his recliner, sleeping perhaps three hours, and the next morning we set off for Arizona. I got into my new place, and I knew joy. It was short-lived. 24 hours later, I was in the hospital with diabetic ketoacidosis. The exhaustion and the inability to find the right needles for the little insulin pens I still had with me sent my blood sugar through the roof. I was there for two days, and I slept through most of the following day. I recorded the problem with anger, which was the last thing I wrote in California, and I got that out to Patreon and Anchor. I spent most of the rest of the time between then and now writing, recording, and scoring this. I slept quite a bit. My body is in horrendous shape. I needed to get this out, so I've told it to you as if we were sharing a bowl on my porch. I left out quite a lot. There were nice moments from time to time with Anthony and Anne. It's important to understand their original intention was to be kind. It's important to understand, too, that on more than one occasion while I was working in the office, I heard Anthony screaming at his family. At one point, before I put my headphones on to drown it out, I heard him say, Maybe Fred will record this and call the police and you'll finally be rid of me. I have nothing but sympathy in my heart for him and his family. He has anger issues much stronger than I could hope to heal. His family must learn to live with that. I wish all of them love and strength and courage. Now, I never intend to discuss this again. It's out of me, excised 
like a malignant cancer. No, I won't tell you the names of any of the people. I don't want anyone to bother them in any way. I want them to find their own happiness in their own way, just as I plan to do. The point is that I'm home and safe. I'm broke again because moving twice in less than 90 days finished my finances. This is disappointing because I had hoped, finally, to publish my novel myself. Paying for hardbound editions I wanted to give to a couple of friends and my top Patreon supporters. The money I wasted in hopes of a peaceful departure was going to pay for that. I will have it again in a few months. Between disability and Patreon support, I will be able to start saving up again, and when I have enough, I will still get moments that make up a life printed. Now, I'm going to relax, and I'm going to start trying to shine again in my own way. I'm grateful to all of you for your love, your friendship, and your support. May you shine in your way, too. Mail. Call us at 480-331-9822. That number again, 480-331-9822. And join the conversation. Here are this week's voicemails. This is Chief O'Brien. I am out here transporting commodity goods and I just happened to come across your podcast about the podcaster was the episode 
And there was a phone number to call, so I'm calling it. I wanted to say thank you for the front porch. Because being out here on these lonesome highways, it's quite nice to actually go and sit on that front porch from time to time in a busy, busy day, busy life. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Bye-bye. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Fred. Happy birthday to you. And many more on Channel 4 and Scooby-Doo on Channel 2, I believe it was. I don't remember. That was a long time ago they used to do that. So I have to say from the O'Brien family, happy birthday, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you. continues to grow, and I am deeply grateful to all of those I'm about to list. Disability pays my rent, but the folks I'm going to name bought me groceries this month. I am still working on getting my food stamps back now that I have returned to Arizona, and as it turns out, I'm exceptionally fond of eating. Without these folks, I would be living on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. There are people who aren't on this list, however, to whom I am also grateful. My best friend's ex-boyfriend gave me a place to live when there was no reason he had to do that. I might still be in California if it weren't for him. He knows who he is, and I'm grateful to him. I don't think he listens to this show, though, so best friend of mine, let him know. Thanks. I have other friends who not only listen to the show, but they are sometimes sharing it on their pages, and this helps to grow the audience. I'm grateful to them for their help. Some friends who are on this list also went above and beyond the call of duty. One of them actually rescued me from California. Another sent me a new comforter and a ridiculously soft set of sheets that are unreasonably comforting when I get in bed at night. So, thank you to the following people. Jenner Zeno and Studio Stargazer, Hermione Granger, Edith Keeler, and Coralie Day with Scott Knight. These are our producers, and I am extremely grateful to them. Our patrons begin with our top patron, Sherlock, the mystery patron. We also have Mandy, Barbara Hauser, Kevin Boyce, Joe March, and our newest patron, Miles O'Brien. No, that's not his real name. Watch a little Star Trek. Our sponsors begin with Lena Miller. We also have Mike Cooper, Phil Parkman, Judy Weinris Morris, Chris Donnelly, Corey Pluard, Claude Burt Lansden, Jesse Rogers, Virginia Rupert, 
Scott Shelby, Mark Rosema, Laura Engram, Natalie, Elizabeth Bennett, Zarif, Robert Blomker, and two new sponsors, Greg Royball. Thanks, Greg. I'm really glad you're here. It's been way too long since we've seen each other. And the inimitable Frau Bluka. Our supporters are Cindy Mandel, Amos Stewart, Michelle Sylvester, Marley Maple Miracle, Carrie Dedeo, Ursula Phillips, Pavel Shabayev, Sarah Nimitz, John G., Christine L. Patterson, Chuck Curry, Corey, Roxanne Wolf, and our very first supporter, Jereen. We have help from Anchor, too. The top of our Anchor list is Zara. We also have Daniel H., Piper K. Young, A.A. Milne, John Donovan, Stacy Height, and Cindy again, and Corey again. Thank you all for keeping the front porch alive and well. And thank you for helping me to shine. I hope our small but hopeful community can work together to change one idea in one mind at a time. And I hope we can all shine together. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll come visit the porch again soon. Until then, look for all the episodes on your favorite podcast app. We're on just about all of them now. Take care of yourself and each other. Studio Stargazer.